Nation Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the Combination Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Groceries through Instacart, delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, fresh off of another MTGO trophy, is Ethan Sachs. What's up, Ethan? Ben, you gotta call me by my new nickname, Ethan Buzzerbeater Sachs. Oh, yeah, that video was super sweet. You had a win with zero seconds on the clock. How was that? It was the most stressful game of Magic I think I've ever played. So, like, I don't know if you've experienced this this week, but I think a number of people are having some, like, MTGO lag issues, and this, like, hit me in this game where I had the Cauldron familiar witches oven combo so you can basically never f6 which is like a hot key for passing priority for the whole turn um so i like had to click through everything and it was laggy and i was like losing on clock and i had this like really dirty deck with dance of the mance anyway and i like made this attack with two seconds left they blocked with a life linking creature i had to sack the creature they blocked with the oven to prevent them from gaining life so i could win and i like did the thing it like stuttered and then i hit f6 real fast and had zero seconds on the clock and then i was waiting waiting and then it came up that i won the match it was very stressful booyah have you ever won with zero seconds on the clock before never i've had uh an opponent attack me with zero seconds on their clock and i think what happened was their clock hit zero as they attacked for hit me for lethal and it came up as a draw oh that's awkward that's the only other time i've experienced like a zero seconds on the clock mattering thing i've had a zero second win with uh, storm in cube before in vintage cube oh my god it's pretty tight resolving those brain freeze triggers you must have been sweating profusely <laughs> i was <I'm> very <laughs> stressed out oh man yeah eldraine just continues to deliver the sweetness week after week it really does i think if vintage cube were up right now i would still be playing eldraine yeah legacy cube doesn't stand a chance i've had a lot i had to make a command in my twitch chat because people come in they're like you're not playing cube i was like why would i play cube for a week when i could play this yeah format's great so speaking of if we check in on the trophy leaderboard i am a few more drafts deep so i'm now 33 drafts deep 70 and 27 overall record picked up a couple more trophies so i have 11 trophies and i'm back up to a 72 percent win rate Got them double digit trophies. You had some sweet decks that you trophied with this week. Yeah, I trophied with what is going to be my peak deck of the format. It had Fires of Invention. It had Emery. It had Dance of the Mance. It just had it all. It was perfection. Yeah, we've definitely entered the sweet bruise portion of the format. I think there's just like a handful of rares like 
Fires, Dance of the Mance, I see them a lot and I'm very, very willing to just move in on them and try and build around them. And I don't think other people are quite there yet. Yep. Uh, so I'm at 143 drafts, Ben, just cruising up to 200, uh, 289 to 132 win loss, 44 trophies and a 69% win rate. Ooh, nice. You have more, you have considerably more trophies than I have drafts. That's a little embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> you got to catch up. I will. I But this week and next week, I'm off for Thanksgiving break. Life should be slowing down. Oh, nice. Maybe you'll do a 24-hour stream. <laughs> <laughs> jokes, that's jokes, my jokes. Resp- That's my response to that. Yeah, it's just a cackle. All right. So today we've got, I think, what's going to be a pretty sweet episode. We're going to be talking about making the final cut. Uh, considerations we have during the draft for deck building and then what decisions lead us towards those like final includes like the 22nd 23rd cards or what are the like final cuts those uh 24th 25th cards that that get the axe before you submit your 40 card deck but before we get into any of that got a little housekeeping to take care of got to talk about the lords of limited patreon patreon.com slash lords of limited is where you can give back to the show if you so choose look folks I'm a full-time content creator. I got podcasts, streams, articles, coaching. The Patreon is what allows me to do that. It is a really incredible uh, thing to see the community be so giving to our show. Like, I feel like a very high percentage of our audience chooses to give back to the show. And what we like to give back to people who do give back to the show is access to the Lords of Limited Discord. It is the place to be to discuss all things limited 24-7. It is booming. We talk about it each and every week. It's just the best resource on the internet to talk about limited. Got some other rewards as well. If you want to give back in a larger form, those are all available to check out on our Patreon page. And each and every week, we want to shout out our new patrons. And this week, we're going to be welcoming Cyrus, Miguel, Bernard, Poole, Jonathan, and Alexander. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah. Cannot say thank you enough. And just people playing on MTGO, like typing in chat, hey, big fan, love your content. Like that is just the coolest thing to me. And I don't think it's ever going to get old. Had that happened to me yesterday when I was streaming and it just brings a huge smile to my face. So thank you. Thank you all for supporting the podcast. Yes. We are also now brought to you in part by Coalesce Apparel and Design, Magic's newest apparel company. And as part of that, we have a gift code for you to get 10% off your order on their website, which pertains to any apparel, not just our Lords of Moda merchandise. And that code is LOL all caps, LOL all caps. You can go there, pick up your hashtag I'm with Ben or hashtag I'm with Ethan shirt and choose your side. Did you see we got a shout out from a PT competitor? And then I was all hyped about that. And they put the hashtag (laughs) I'm with Ethan. And I was like, dang it. (laughs) Yeah, that was really sick. Craig Kremples shouted us out on Twitter about like how he didn't have a lot of time to prep for the limited portion. And he crammed a bunch of our episodes and found it really helpful. That will also never get old to me. Just like any time a pro is like, hey, I really used your content and it, it really helped me. I'm just that'll just never Never not blow me away. Yep, absolutely. All right, Ben. So uh, I got a chance to watch you stream yesterday. I got a chance to Skype in for a draft that I think we're going to check out here for the roundtable. Yes. Would you like to take a seat? I would love to. So pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. There's Merfolk Secret Keeper as the top blue common. There's two bake into a pies, one regular, one foil. In the uncommons, there's a Sorcerer's Broom. And your rare is Worthy Knight, one and a white for the 2-2. Whenever you cast a knight spell, create a 1-1 white human creature token. So this is a really interesting pick for me, especially in the context of MTGO and where I feel like the meta has now shifted. Uh, <laughs> I think we're calling it the limited resources effect. I feel like, you know, they came in last week saying that they thought white aggro decks were good red white decks were good that that sort of thing and i feel like white has now really dried up for me like i haven't drafted 
base white, I think maybe just once in like my past 30 or 40 drafts. I think there's also a portion of that, which is me being like, what are the sweet things I can do in the format now? So I'm drafting a lot of like two color, splashing two color decks, that sort of thing. Um, but this if this were like two weeks ago, I would take Worthy Knight and be very happy with that. Um, but now I'm not going to take a white card if I can avoid it because I don't think white is open that much. Um, so then it becomes a choice between Bacon to a Pie, which is the best common in the set, I think, and Sorcerer's Broom, which is more flexible and has a higher ceiling than Bake. But I'm not sure it's responsible to take it here when you've got such a good premium removal spell. So I think I would land on Bacon to a Pie here. Yeah, that's what I landed on as well. Wasn't particularly close for me with Worthy Knight. So it sounds like you think Worthy Knight is a better card than Bacon to a Pie. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a really efficient card. It demands to be dealt with. It's not hard to like build around it because Knights is an inherent synergy in a white deck. Like the only time it's going to be bad is like if you end up white green or white blue, I feel like. But it, it shouldn't if white's open, you should be able to get a good number of knights pair that with red or black and this card just like demands to be dealt with goes really well if you get like a banner or a silver flame ritual again ritual shouldn't be hard to get if white is open etc so i i do like the card quite a bit okay and then the choice but the chat was chiming in on was do we take the foil or do we take the regular and i think you just have to take the regular right because you want to give the person you're passing to more info and if you pass the person the foil bacon to a pie with a common missing i think the person to your left that you pass the pack to should deduce that you took a normal bake into a pie out of the pack, right? Is that what you're supposed to deduce? I think so. What else would you be deducing from that? Because a common is missing. Yeah, yeah. A okay. common is missing. Bake into a pie is the best common. And there's still a foil bake into a pie in the pack. I, th- you're, you're supposed to deduce either that they're a good drafter and they took bake into a pie or they don't know how to draft. <laughs> One of the two. Sure. And the latter isn't really helpful information. Um, the other consideration here and i feel like people don't really ever get this like especially when you're choosing between two late copies of a card i remember in one of our showdown videos the live draft that we did from vegas you were choosing between two copies of inspiring charge or inspired charge uh one was foil one was not and you took the non-foil and the, the reason you do that is because if you have like three copies of a card in your deck and in game one you play a foil and in game two you play a non-foil your opponent now knows you have two copies of that in your deck. Whereas if all three of those were non-foils, you play one game one, one game two, they don't know that you have multiples of that card in your deck yet. Not to mention foils are just annoying. Well, now now I can't get behind that, but that's <laughs> that's neither here nor there. You're just, this is your just old man thing about foils? I think so, yeah. All right, cool. All right, so bacon to a pie, get in. Bacon to a pie, get in. Moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. There's a searing barrage, four and a red for the instant, deal five damage to her creature. If you add them in it, it deals three damage to that creature's controller as well. There's an out muscle, three and a green for the sorcery. Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control, then it fights target creature you don't control. If you adamant it, your creature gets indestructible. Moving on to the uncommons, there's a witch's oven, single mana for the artifact, tap, sack a creature, create a food token. If the creature's toughness was four or greater, you make two instead. There's a red cap melee, single red for the instant, deal four damage to a creature or planeswalker. If the permanent that you dealt damage to was not red, you have to sacrifice a land. Lucky Clover, two mana for the artifact. Whenever you cast an adventure, instant, or sorcery spell, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. Yeah, I'm going to quickly rule out the commons because I think, I mean, maybe not Witch's Oven, but 
I think red cap melee is certainly better than all the commons. Um, and then the choices then between melee and lucky clover is a really powerful build around. It's also colorless. Um, and I think more and more I am really feeling like it is truly colorless in the sense that like, yes, there are different kinds of decks that you, you're going to put it into. But I think a lot of the color pairs, maybe save for like a few aggressive ones, um, can take advantage of Lucky Clover if you can get the adventures. This is sort of when I want to take a card like this is early so that I can start to prioritize things. It feels like it has the highest ceiling for me. Um, and it's still a totally fine follow-up to Bake into a Pie. So I think I would take that. Absolutely. And so it sounds like you think Red Cat Melee is better than Bake. Is that where you're at? Yes, I'm a, I'm on Red Cat Melee over Bake. Pack one, pick one. That's interesting. I think... I'm probably there. That pick's really close for me, though. That's like right where the line is on melee. Like, I, th- I certainly think melee is better than Scorching Dragonfire. I, and I think that's number two. I don't know if I think it's better than Bake. Yeah, I mean, I just the, the one mana instant is so efficient. It is. And I don't think other people probably even think it's that high. Like, we, we had people that were wanting Scorching Dragonfire over a red cap melee in a draft I did earlier yesterday as well. Oh, no, I don't think that's correct. Yeah. All right. So we jam Lucky Clover here to stay open. So we've now got Bake into a Pie and Lucky Clover moving on to pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. There's a Scalding Cauldron, one mana for the artifact with three tap, sack it to deal three damage to target creature. Reeve Soul, one and a black for the sorcery, destroy target creature power three or less. My boy, Golden Egg. Oof. Two mana for the artifact. When ETBs draw a card, you can pay one, sack it to filter a mana or pay two and sack it to gain three life. And then moving on to the uncommons, there's Keeper of Fables, three green green for the four five. Whenever one or more non-human creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, draw a card. And there's also a once in future hanging out, although you're probably not taking that over the Keeper of Fables. Yeah, so I think it is between Reeve Soul and Keeper here. I, th- I think with Bacon to a Pie already in my pile, I want to take the first Reeve Soul over the first Golden Egg, but that's very close. And I think that's really telling about how high I am on egg and, and honestly how much I've sort of dipped on reef soul like reef soul is is good but i think we probably had it as uh, the second best common in the set overall and i'm not sure it's there anymore for me yeah i agree with that but i think keeper of fables is just enough powerful again i'm taking keeper over all the commons pack one pick one um because i think it's just got a really high ceiling i i've said this before i think I and mean, this is obviously not how you want to maximize it but Keeper Fables in a deck with all humans is still a good card. Like five mana, four or five is very big in this format. And it also just threatens to attack and draw cards. Like obviously that's not ideal, but it's also not hard to get non-humans in your deck. Right. I think I'm on Keeper of Fables here as well, but I think it's really tempting. I think a lot of people would pick Reeve's Soul here. Yes. So I think this goes in line with, you know, how we talk about, you know, just trying to take raw power level stuff and obviously there are tiebreakers here and especially bacon to a pie being already in your pile reeve soul goes up a bit but i still think that's enough of a bump to clear out keeper here like i think we think about the pack in terms of or at least i think about pack one in terms of like three chunks like picks one through three four through eight and then nine plus and like four through eight is really where you can start to get signals in terms of like, oh, this is a card that I think is in the top commons and I'm seeing it pick five. That's probably a signal. Um, 
But just here, I want to take like raw power level stuff in those first few picks. Well, I think getting into green with a lucky clover in your pile, there's also something to be said for that because I think green's probably the most adventure heavy color in the set. Yes, I agree with that for sure. So we snap up Keeper of Fables there. So we've got Bake, Lucky Clover, and Keeper in our pile. Moving on to pack one, pick four. You see the following cards as options. Commons, there's not a lot going on. There's Searing Barrage as probably the best common in the pack. And then a Garenbrig Carver to match up with our Lucky Clover. That's three and a green for the three, two with the Adventure Shields Might. One on a green instant target creature gets plus two plus two until end of turn. And then moving on to the uncommons, there's a Ferocity of the Wilds, two and a red, attacking non-human creatures you control get plus one plus oh and have trample. Where are you at on Ferocity of the Wilds? A lot higher than I was at the start of the format. I think I had this probably as like a D or something, or maybe like build around C or something. I think it's probably build around B range for me. I really like red green aggro decks and this is like a reason to get into that deck in my opinion yeah it makes it really hard the plus one power and the fact that you can't chump is just really oppressive especially if you're on something like blue red and you're really trying to stall with those one one flyers that you're getting Mm -hmm. feels pretty bad yeah moving on to our last uncommon archon of absolution speaking of cards that are not bad three (laughs) and a white three two flyer pro white creatures you control Creatures can't attack you or a planeswalker you control unless their controller pays one for each of those creatures. Can I tell you a bad beat story real quick? Yeah. So I was mono white, this mono white clunk deck we drafted, and my I had two archons in my deck, and my opponent covetous urged my archon, and I just snap conceded. Yeah. Felt bad. You, you need scalding cauldron in your mono white decks. <laughs> you just like, I mean, you really do, especially if like not only for that situation, but if you're ever going to face down an archon. Yep. Um. Yeah. Speaking of cards that are signals that are going later than they should. So there's a rare and uncommon and a common missing, but I would not take any common over Archon of Absolution. And so I will take this as somewhat of a white signal or or a very strong white signal, depending on what cards were taken over this. But I think that's the pick here. Yep, I agree. So we snatch up Archon of Absolution. And now we have a Bake, a Lucky Clover, a Keeper, and an Archon. How are you feeling at this point in the draft? feel great. Like this is a really good spot to be in like you can go a number of different directions and you're going to have powerful cards in all of those directions yeah i agree absolutely so this draft rounds out pack one pick five we pick up a mysterious Pathlighter over a lock dragon pack one pick six fairly weak pack we take a witch's oven and then mono white comes rolling in pack one pick seven we get a fireborn knight pack one pick eight we get a resolute rider and essentially put the blinders on at that point and do end up getting hooked up. Unfortunately, with all of the four drops in the world, we ended up with three copies of Fireborn Knight, two copies of Resolute Rider and two copies of Archon of Absolution. Oh, it was it was three Resolute Riders. You had eight four drops. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Three, three, two. (laughs) We had that card quality, though. That card quality. Very clunky. You know, those mono white decks where you always want to run 18 lands. Yeah, so I uh, ended up making it to the finals with that deck before we lost to our own Archon of Absolution. Yeah, I mean, I was on the line for you for that first round, and we were playing against a deck that I thought we had no chance of beating, and I would have conceded ages ago, and Ben just grounded out and got the W. Patience, it's virtue. Patience, yeah, it's not a virtue that I have. <laughs> I'm working <laughs> on it, though, I'm working on it. All right, so uh, let's let's move in from the roundtable into our main topic here, making the final cut. I want to do a quick content shout out. There is a new limited podcast on the streets, boys and girls. It's called Limited Level Ups, our very own Corda Calls, who's been on the show. He's a, a prominent member of our Discord. He and uh, a, a young up-and-comer sort of magic prodigy named Abram have started a podcast together. They're two episodes deep. Uh, it's on all the major podcast platforms. Would highly recommend checking it out. 
This week, they talked about how to draft a deck, not just a pile of cards. And I think it's really good dovetail for this episode as well as we're going to talk about like the considerations that we have during a draft. Um, you know, talk about like drafting a deck, making sure that while you're drafting, you are building your deck. And then so that you end not with like 30 cards in your pile, but you end with like a pretty good idea of what your deck is going to look like. And one of the most common things that we get in Discord or while streaming is people wanting to share a deck and say, hey, what's the cut here? Or what are the last few cuts? So they they send us a picture of a deck with 43 cards and they want to know, you know, which three cards should we cut? And I think once you identify the open color or color pair for your seat, sometimes you get rewarded enough that you have way more than that. Like sometimes people post pictures in the Discord that are just like, you know, without the lands, like 30 or 33 cards yeah. in their pile. And like, what are the cuts? And once you have that amount of cards, it's so difficult sometimes, I think, to figure out what the cuts are that sometimes, and I think you bring this up later in the episode, it's easier to just start with these are the cards that are definitely making my deck and then trying to add cards rather than, you know, trying to cut 10, 15 cards from your deck. Yeah. And I think another thing that you're really big on is during the draft. And I think this is something I've learned from you, but really try to be building your deck during the draft so that once you're done, you're only cutting one or two cards, or maybe you're very picky and you're adding one or two cards from your maybe playables in your sideboard. And I think if you're really drafting optimally, like I would definitely be doing that if I were in whatever the top eight of a PTQ or something, but I'm never going to be there. And sometimes I don't always concentrate that card. So <laughs> <laughs> I end up with a pile of 30 cards, but I do think I'm very efficient while I'm drafting about knowing what I want my deck to do. And I'm just lazy about putting the cards in my sideboard. So we're going to go over six categories of deck building considerations. Um, and I think the reason that these are so good is that they're going to help you narrow down your decisions. And one of the reasons that I'm so high on make sure you're building your deck as you draft. And yes, on Magic Online or Arena, you can do this pick by pick if you're, you know, in a GP, if you're in day two of a GP or at the Mythic Championship or whatever, you can only check in between packs, but you should still be then in between packs going, okay, how many playables do I have? What does my curve look like, etc. So that during the next round of picks, you have an idea of what you're looking for. This is so, so important to know, like, I'm at the point where I need to adjust my pick orders, like pick orders are great for the first few picks. But then once you're building your deck, those pick orders are going to change wildly if you're a more aggressive deck or a more controlling deck or you already have three removal spells and you need more two drops or you have plenty of two drops and you don't have a finisher. Like that's going to dictate whether or not you need to take that Moonlit Scavengers or you need to take that Charmed Sleep. Like those are the things that you want to be aware of while you're drafting. Absolutely. So if we go into deck building considerations, one of the first things we're going to take a look at is speed. And I think the first obvious speed for a deck is an aggro deck. And I think, you know, the the trope of there is no aggro, there is no control, it's only shades of mid-range and limited is getting less true, I think, as limited goes on and there there are many more playables and they're pushing harder. In Eldraine, I feel like you can have all ends of the spectrum. And I think there are really true aggro decks in the format, especially in Throne of Eldraine, specifically, you know, various flavors of Boros Knights or Mono White. And then certainly the Mono Green aggro deck with Ginger Brute and the Wildwood Trackers and Rosethorn Halberd. That, that I think is absolutely an aggressive deck. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, you think about this format, you think about like Triple Ixalan or Triple Amonkhet, like we've definitely seen like true aggro decks in limited in the past few years. Yeah, some Slitherblade action. Yeah, for sure. So then next we'll move into mid-range. Uh, the bulk of the decks in any format are going to fall here. If you think about red-black, black-white, green-white, red-green, blue-red, blue-green, any sort of like splashing decks. Like these are all sort of, you know, decks that are going to have a good curve of creatures backed up by, you know, removal and some combat tricks, that sort of thing. And I think if you take a look at control, most of the blue decks in 
Throne of Eldraine fall into this category, as well as green, black, grindy food decks. So specifically, I think blue, white really wants to be control. Blue, green really wants to be control. Blue, black is definitely control. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, black, green is either mid range or control. But if you've really got like the trail of crumbs, dirtle around, it definitely feels like control. Right. I mean, the amount of life gain that you can have in the like grindiest of black, green food decks, I think dictates that they may be even even moving into that control realm there. So, you know, I think, you know, think of your deck under those three, one of those three umbrellas is important to know what sort of picks you want. You know, if I'm in a more aggressive deck, I'm going to want threats more than I'm going to want answers. So I'll like want a few removal spells, but I'm probably going to be taking, you know, Rimrock Knights over Searing Barrages in those decks, whereas maybe in blue, red, draw two, I would be taking Searing Barrages over Rimrock Knights, that sort of thing. And then the next deck building consideration here is what is the game plan of your deck? And I think, you know, there's we've got five outlined here, and there could be more than this. I think these are like a great solid five to start with. And the first one that goes along with the speed would be beatdown. So having a good curve of aggressive creatures that's backed up by some removal, some combat tricks, like you're really trying to go, you know, maybe you miss your one drop, but you're trying to go two drop, three drop, kill your play, four drop, you know, double spell, kill your thing and play another three drop. And you just want to get aggressive creatures out there, get some damage in and then find a way to close out the game. Yep. Uh, next one here is sort of in line with beatdown, but it's a, a different sort of axis here is evasion. So this is a deck planning to block early on the ground and win by attacking in the air or, or with some other kind of evasive threat. Right. And I think even, you know, I, I like the fact that you have uh, some other evasive threat. And I don't even think it would necessarily need to be evasive. But if you're planning to like if your opponent's faster than you, you're planning to stop your opponent's offense and then win with maybe even a big creature, sometimes like just a two and bail tree folk is enough to close it out. Sure. Garenberg Paladin has like pseudo evasion in a way, but it's also just keyword big. Right. And then next game plan would be an attrition deck. So a deck with a lot of two for ones, like I think green black food really falls into here. Yeah. Recursion, etc. You know, you're trying to trade off one for one with your opponent and just win because you have had more two for ones or you've got more resources or you've filtered more cards somehow, but that you end up with three to four more cards than your opponent and then you win the game with whatever those three to four cards are that you drew more than your opponent. Uh, Next up, we've got a synergy deck. So this is you know, a game plan where you're working towards a common theme. You can think about food decks built around Savvy Hunter or Trail of Crumbs. Uh, Night decks in uh, Throne of Eldraine, I think, sort of have a theme if you've got like trebuchets or you have a worthy knight, that sort of thing. Um, but I think synergy is uh, a, a sort of umbrella here that you can think about for your deck's game plan. Right. And I think that would fall under the speed. You know, if we go back to the speed, would fall under mid-range, right? Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily super fast. They're not necessarily super slow or controlling, but they're relying on their pieces working well in tandem together to give you, you know, more of an advantage than your opponent does through their individual card quality. I would definitely say it goes it skews more towards the control side of mid-range because the longer the game goes on, the more likely you are to be able to assemble multiple synergy pieces or see like your big payoff for your synergy. And so you're definitely going to want to get to that late game so you can like achieve as much synergy as you possibly can for your deck. Right. And you could also, I think a person could also make the argument that like mono red or something or whatever, there's, yeah. there's a certain amount of synergy in getting your opponent dead too, right? Uh-huh. Like, so if you're, if you're an aggressive deck, like there's a really, there's a, there's a tension there. Like, like, so for example, Sundering Stroke, six and a red, are you going to put that in your mono red aggro deck? I think probably not if you're a disciplined deck builder. If you're a true 
mono red aggro deck that does not belong in your deck there's a there's a certain amount of tension there right where where you don't draw seven lands and you can't cast that but then if that were a card that dealt three damage or just killed a creature or was a scalding cauldron or something that might be enough to let you push through the last few points of damage to turn the corner yeah i think a big takeaway for me from when we had ryan saxon talking about aggro decks was this idea of like building your deck or drafting your deck with uh, optimism, like thinking about what the best case scenario is um, for aggressive decks. But I think that can be applied to all decks. I think a lot of people don't quite get why build arounds are so good. I think there's a tendency to think about, well, it's just one card in my 40 card deck. How likely am I to find that? And like, why should I be skewing picks down the road towards just one card in my deck. But the fact of the matter is that when you have one card that is going to synergize well with a bunch of other pieces, in theory, that's just going to make your whole deck stronger. Like It's not like your deck folds if you don't draw the one thing. You don't want to build decks like that. But you want to like optimize those cards, and then you're going to get those decks that are those greater than the sum of their parts decks. Absolutely. And I think we're, we're, you know, we're going off the road here a little bit, but I think this is interesting. I think this is an interesting detour to take. You know, I feel like limited resources and especially Luis talks a lot about the idea that, you know, a card that's a nine is way better than a seven, you know, or like the, the gap between the best cards and building around a good build around gives you a chance to make your own nine or something in your deck, which is really powerful as well in limited. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited now about cards like fires of invention or dance of the mance is that the ceiling on those cards is so high like fires of invention can be a nine or a ten in your deck dance of the mance can be a nine or a ten in your deck like and if you get there your deck is going to work super well as a whole and then you're just going to have this stone cold bomb that finishes the game absolutely and the last game plan we've got here would be combo and or mill so your deck trying to win in some sort of atypical fashion so milling out you know wouldn't really be necessarily atypical in throne of eldraine but in some other format would be atypical or, you know, M19, the black green loops deck that you discovered or clear the mine from RNA that you also discovered. <laughs> I do think you like you broke. You were one of the first people to break clear the mine, right? I think so. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know when it when it happened. It certainly wasn't like something I was famous for. But I think I I played it pretty early on because I remember chat being so like this deck looks gar- like garbage, like you're not going to win with this deck. And I was like, I think this is real because we had lost to it. Like, I remember you and I talking about, we haven't drafted this yet, but we've lost to it already. Right. We were on that deck pretty early on in the format. Yeah, that was super sweet. So, yeah, so those are the sorts of things to think about. Like, what is your deck's game plan? I feel like at the end of the draft, you should be able to, like, put your deck under aggro mid-range control, some sort of place on that spectrum, and then be able to also say, this is my deck's game plan. Too often, I think people are just like, well, these are a pile of good black and green cards. There's 44 of them. What's the cut? And I feel like I want to just be like, well, it's fairly obvious to me because I see that your deck is a mid-range food deck. And then you just have these random four cards that don't belong there. Like a Garen Brig Carver is not great in that deck. Like it's a good green card in other decks, but it's not great in green, black food. Like things like that where I'm like, well, that doesn't really belong here. That doesn't belong here. And that doesn't belong here. And if you're asking yourself those questions, I think you'll be able to come to those conclusions uh, yourself more often than not. Right. And I think this is another just linguistics pet peeve of mine. But I think, you know, a lot, I see a lot of people posting their their draft picks and trying to build a deck or saying, well, what are the cuts from this pool? Like you don't you don't have a pool. You have a sealed pool. You don't have any control over what's in your sealed pool. You have a draft deck like you you drafted a deck and you you should have picked 
cards that contributed to a plan. I don't think you should be trying to decide on now every once in a while you're towing the line and you do really have two viable builds of your deck. Like you have a whatever you have a blue red card draw deck or you have a blue red control deck and maybe you like didn't quite get there on the card draw payoffs or something. Mm -hmm. But I think you shouldn't be thinking about in general at the end of your draft, you shouldn't be thinking about, okay, I have this pool of cards. What, what sort of deck can I build from it? Right. A lot of times I'm like, I see the cards. I'm like, it feels like we made some mistakes during the draft that now you can't salvage. Now you're asking me to choose like what cards from the, the cards that you drafted do you want to cut? But I want to go back and be like, what picks did you make where you landed on getting three copies of whatever card X that I think is not good here? Like, I think those are the reasons why you want to be building your deck as you draft. Absolutely. And moving on to our next deck building consideration, we've got curve. And I think this is probably the most widely understood concept of all of these. You know, every format cares about having a curve except for Rivals of Ixalan. <laughs> that, was, that was the three drop dong curve format. Um, and every archetype in Throne of Eldraine, I think to a certain extent cares about your curve. You can never in limited have enough impactful two drops, which would be two drops that stay relevant into the late game. And then past that, as you move up your curve, the cards should be getting fewer and fewer, right? You shouldn't have, as as we saw in our round table today, <laughs> the deck that we ended up with, you should not have eight four drops in your deck if you're drafting well. Yes. I also think it's important to remember this idea of like, you can never have enough two drops. And then there's no such thing as like, we need to fill out our three drop slot. I feel like people say that to me a lot in drafting. Like, that's not really a thing. Do, do you agree with that? Yes. Uh, yeah, I do agree with that. Like the, the fact that you might have like a several twos and then a few fours and no three drops and like people just want to take a three drop to have a three drop. Is that right. what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't register with me. Right. So really the two drop slot is the most important, but then we're not filling it with junkers. We're filling it with impactful spells. So that's a, a curve consideration. I also think in tandem with curve, color requirements should be considered here as well, um, especially in Throne of Eldraine, but in, in all limited formats, I think this is important. Um, you want to be leaning towards one color as your, your base color, right? So a deck with six red two drops and then two lost legions and two bacon to a pie is going to have some tension when it comes to the mana base. So you want to be thinking about your mana as well as your drafting. Not only the, the color, like I think you should really be thinking about not only the color requirements, like which color you're leaning towards, but also a number of lands. Like as you're drafting, maybe as you're midway through pack two, as the deck is starting to, to take shape and you're really starting to see what your speed is and your game plan is, that's when I start to go, all right, this is probably a 17 land deck. This is probably an 18 land deck. And those are then going to make considerations for me down the road. I'll feel like if it's an 18 land deck, maybe I can afford to have this third six drop in my deck. But if it's a 17 land or a 16 land, then I can't do that, that sort of thing. Right. And I think that's the time you're already starting to think about, okay, this is probably going to be like, I need 10 sources minimum, right? especially in Throne of Eldraine of my main color. And what sort of concessions does that make towards cards you pick towards whatever you think your secondary color is going to be? Or maybe you're like pretty heavily skewed red and you think I need 12 mountains. That means you can't play bacon to a pie in your deck or whatever. For example, like you, you have to have single colored pips of whatever your secondary color is. Yes. So moving on to our fourth category here, we're going to be looking at card type distribution. And we sort of put these in, in different categories. And then based on the kind of deck you have, right, the speed and the game plan, these numbers will fluctuate. So we put cards in the categories of creatures, removal, card draw slash card advantage slash card filtering, combat tricks, and then lands. And I think like a typical, you know, mid-range, good curve, limited resources, cabs theory type of deck, you're looking at like, 
you know, 15 to 17 ish creatures, then like a handful of removal spells, maybe a combat trick or two, and then 17 lands. That's sort of, I feel like the baseline for a limited deck. Yes, absolutely. But then as you're looking at different things, like a control deck may not need as many creatures. Maybe it wants way more removal spells and card draw spells, and you don't need, you you really don't in control decks have 15 creatures. I feel like 10 to 12 is sort of the thing. You want them to be like really impactful creatures, resilient creatures, or creatures that are like worth then getting back with your forever youngs or things like that. Like, you know, you're then skewing towards other things. You want to have answers and then just a few really good threats to close out the game. And then in between, things are going to fluctuate based on, again, based on the speed of your deck, based on the game plan, what sort of synergy pieces you have, uh, all the things that we've talked about so far. Yeah. One of the other card type distributions I really want to touch on is lands. I was thinking about this the other day. So I think you and I have gotten ourselves in trouble a little bit in the last couple of formats when there are lands in the set of talking about wanting to pick the lands pretty highly because you get to play, you know, whatever, 25 of your playables or 30 of your playables. And I think that holds true way more in cube than it does in the non-cube formats because the cards that you're giving up to pick the lands highly in non-cube formats are sometimes really powerful. Like, I think lands have to be really good. Like in Hour of Devastation, the cycling lands were draw a card. Those were really powerful, right? Yes. But but past that, the minor effects for lands just is not worth passing up on the top commons in the set for, I don't think. I agree with that for sure. I, I think another example was in, uh, I guess not really guilds, though we, I think, were higher on taking the gates there for the the payoffs than a, a lot of other people but certainly in Ravnica Allegiance where those gate payoffs were so huge and so abundant and existed like in basically every color um the gates were like you know fairly high picks but i i agree with you that that we we should caution people certainly i i, I missed pretty big on the adamant lands here though those are not lands and, and even the castles honestly the castles and the adamant lands are not cards that i'm uh nearly as high on as i was in our crash course right and the castles are weird the castles feel like they should be high picks and they just aren't yeah it's just because like they're so color committing like you have to have that one and two others of the same source so like they're automatically like well if you put this in your deck you probably have to have like 10 plus sources to activate it. Now, they're close to free, right? Like you just have to have one other to have it come into play untapped and then it's just like a basic. But when you, you can't take Castle Lockthwain over Bacon to a pie, you just can't do it. Right, absolutely. And Modern Horizons too. I think with the cycling lands, like we got ourselves in trouble a little bit there too. So just worth worth noting, I think that that's not necessarily a lesson that carries over quite as hard from Cube. I think that we have been, that we need to maybe reevaluate. Yeah, I think that's fair. Just to add one more note to lands here, I think a lot of questions that we get, especially if we've identified something early in a format like we have here that like 18 lands is more often than not correct or in Dominaria that 18, it was an 18 land format, that sort of thing. Um, I think a lot of people uh, certainly early on resist that, resist going against the, the norm of 17. And then we get a lot of questions of, of why is that the case? And well, what sorts of things would make you want to play more lands? Like ask yourself that question. The things that make me want to play more lands are if I have more card draw, if I have card filtering, if I have mana sinks, right? Places to put mana later in the game. We think about your Clunk City white deck with the eight four drops, even though it's like, you know, sort of the curve stopped at five or whatever but you just like would auto lose if you didn't get to four lands so like if you don't 
if, if your deck sort of has that consideration, you're going to want to make sure you hit your fourth land on time. That's going to be a skew towards 18 land. So asking yourself those questions, and it has to be like a deck by deck consideration as well. Like I've played 18 land, 17 lands, some 16 land decks in this format. And I just have to always reevaluate what my deck's game plan is and where lands fit into that situation. I think the most common pushback on that one is that card draw leads you to want to have 18 lands. That's the one I feel like I get most pushback on. And that's the one that really incentivizes me to want to run 18 lands. And people make the argument that, well, if you have card draw, you're going to draw into your lands. But that's just not necessarily the case. And you need to find the lands to cast your card draw spell. Like if you have divination in your deck, you want to hit your third land drop so that you can cast divination to draw through like card draw lets you draw through flood. Yes. Yeah. But you don't get that opportunity if you're mana screwed to like especially with things like in Throne of Eldraine, like you're not getting that card draw really to like turn five with Unexplained Vision or filtering with Sage of the Falls. Like I really want to be making sure that I'm hitting all my land drops and then I can, you know, maybe loot them away or whatever. But in theory, I, I will feel like I will lose if I don't hit my land drops and I will win if I do. And so that incentivizes me to play 18 lands. Yep, absolutely. Next up, we've got synergy here as a consideration. So putting this into two different categories, thinking about broad synergy and pockets of synergy, patent pending for corticals there on that term, but we're going to use it here until until he gets that. Uh, <laughs> broad synergy here is uh, thinking about in Throne of Eldraine adventures, knights, the sort of artifact slash enchantments matter. These are usually the things that like define the archetypes generally, um, but these are broad synergy pieces that like are going to encompass your entire deck. And then as far as another type of synergy, the pockets of synergy, you know, you can have small two card combos or three to four card combos like Raging Redcaps plays very nicely with Bargin because you get the double strike and the trample. And, you know, presumably if you've got Bargin in your deck, you're going to be giving some other non-human creatures trample or something like Malevolent Noble plus Wishclaw Talisman. So you put the Wishclaw Talisman trigger on the stack to go two-drop a card, and then while the trigger's on the stack, you sacrifice the Talisman to the Malevolent Noble, and you get a Demonic Tutor, but your opponent doesn't get the chance to use Wishclaw Talisman. Things like that, just two-card combos that play well together, didn't say please, plus Witching Well. You know, you get a hold-up mana for your counterspell. If your opponent chooses to play around it, you dump the four mana into your Witching Well, draw two cards, and punish your opponent. Your opponent's darned if they do, darned if they don't. Yeah, these are the things that I really like to look out for. I was I was participating in our sort of draft with me section of the Discord yesterday, and someone was was drafting a deck, and they had two weasel back red caps towards the end of pack two, and I was like, with two red caps in your deck, now I actively want a copy of Fling, and Fling is a card that I basically never want to think about, but once I'm l- thinking about what my deck what my deck's game plan is, what the speed of it is. Like decks like that sometimes can have the issue of, well, you get your opponent down to like six, five, four, and then they stabilize and you can't punch through. And oftentimes in this format, you only have like a couple turns until they find that golden egg or find that tempting witch. And then, you know, then they're they're in, at seven or eight or nine life. And now they're really out of range of you finishing them off. Cards like fling plus weaselback red cap are things that I'm looking for as like, well, now that's a little pocket of synergy that I'd be happy to have. Yeah, Absolutely. And our last concept here, as far as deck building considerations, is the idea of redundancy versus diversity in terms of cards that you want in your deck. And so cards that are redundant are cards that you want as many copies of as possible. So for example, like bake into a pie, you're, you're going to put five bake into a pies in your deck. Basically, there's no, there's no diminishing returns with those type of cards. And usually they are the top commons. 
Right. So you think about like premium removal spells, top common creatures like Ardenville Tactician, Merfolk Secret Keeper, Rimrock Knight. There aren't really diminishing returns with those cards. And in fact, they they actually tend to like play better and better as you get more copies of them. And the idea of diversity would be the value of having, you know, a toolbox of answers or different, you know, creature types in your deck or different powers, toughnesses. Like a lot of times I find, you know, usually after I'm playing the games, but oh, my deck can't beat a 5-5. That's awkward. Right. Um, So just the idea that you, you know, maybe you want to take Searing Barrage over your third copy of Scorching Dragonfire or something or diversity of creatures. Maybe you want, you know, your first Silver Flame Squire and then you want your second Lonesome Unicorn over the second Silver Flame Squire, depending on your deck. Or, you know, you want to make sure you pick up a copy of a sideboard card to deal with enchantments. Just making sure that you have a well-rounded group of cards that are able to deal with different game situations that might come up. Right. And so these are sort of then past those top commons. These are sort of like the, the C's of the format. And that's when you're choosing between like, well, I want my first copy of this over the second copy of that. And I, I really value that toolbox. I generally will that's a tiebreaker for me a lot of the time is like, well, if I'm th- choosing between these two cards that I think are C grade for my deck and they both fit the game plan and speed, etc., I'll usually use the tiebreaker of, well, I don't have a copy of this card yet, so I'm going to grab that. So when you consider all of those six categories, all of that criteria we've just outlined while you're drafting and while you build your deck, by the time the draft is over, you should be very close to, if not exactly at the 22 to 24 cards you intend to play. Yeah. And I think it's also sometimes helpful if you're not there Maybe you didn't do that for whatever reason, or maybe your colors were so open that you ended up chock full of playables to just go through and pick the cards that you know are going to be in your deck and start with whatever those 15 cards are that are just way more intrinsically powerful and go along with your synergy, go along with your plan, and then work up to adding the last six or seven cards. Maybe that's a less overwhelming process. The the benefit of doing that is if you start with the 16 cards you know you're going to play or like that are all whatever C plus or higher grade cards, then you really get to see what the holes are that you need to fill. Like, oh, I need more two drops or I probably shouldn't add another four drop here or I really do need another piece of removal or I do need another, you know, just big dumb thing to close out the game. That's going to really dictate a lot of the final includes for your deck. Well, and those 16 cards might let you see the core of what they want to do also, right? You start to see, okay, my best cards really want me to try to two for one my opponent and play an attrition game plan, or my best cards really want me to play some sort of a late game control game so that I can cast my Lockmere Serpent and win with Lockmere Serpent or whatever. Right. Yeah, I agree completely. And then sometimes those last few picks, last few cuts, last last few additions can still elude you. So we're going to run through um, sort of that final cut situation with a deck here that I drafted earlier this week. So we got the imager link here if you're following along at home. Obviously, this deck is pretty nuts. This is a black green splashing blue for I won the lottery Oko. Um, we've got a rankle master of pranks. We've got the cat oven sorcerer's broom combo. We've got a couple golden eggs and trail of crumbs like this deck is really powerful. Um, but these last few picks, I can't remember the last time I deliberated on building a deck so long on stream before. Like I think I was in the tank for like 15 minutes on figuring out what these these final includes were. So let's run through the deck here 
in the six categories, and then we'll talk through the picks that I decided not to put in and the picks that ended up making the cut for these final four spots. So speed of this deck, Ben, is I think solidly mid-range, mid-range skewing towards control just with the the clear power level of the cards that we have. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And then as far as a game plan, you're definitely an attrition style deck. So the cat-oven broom combo in and of itself, I think, is enough to make any deck have a good attrition game plan, even if that's not the primary game plan. And then Trail of Crumbs also wants the game to go long to take advantage of the card advantage. Oko just raw power and is very, you know, gonna grind your opponent out that probably gonna have to spend multiple resources to try to deal with your Oko and Rankle as well, just two for one city. Yeah, the curve here isn't great. Like it's good in terms of distribution of spells and not considering these final four picks that we're, we're trying to, to put in here, but it's a good distribution of spells, but they're not really impactful. Like our creature counts kind of low and the things that I'm doing on turn two, a lot of times aren't really, you know, affecting the board in a meaningful way. Like you play Trail of Crumbs or Witch's Oven on one or Golden Egg on two, like you're doing something, but you're not really impacting the board in, in a way that a creature does. Right. I think like your your best two drops here looking at this are Reeve Soul, certainly a good early answer. Yeah. And then, you know, you've got a couple creatures that could block well. Right. But like ideally, I'm not blocking with Sorcerer's Room early because I want to like go off with it, you know? Right. You want to do the thing. Yeah, exactly. And if we take a look at spell distribution next, we're pretty light on creatures in the deck. So it looks like you know, from your thoughts here, some of the last cards you ended up adding to the deck were creatures. Can you talk about that at all? Yeah, I mean, even with the the four cards, if you're following along at home, you sort of see like the deck laid out and then all the way on the right of the main deck picture are four cards that are sort of off curve. And those are the four last cards I ended up including. And then in the sideboard, the left column of cards are the other cards I was considering. But even with the last four picks I added, that only put me up to 12 creatures. No more good two drops that we were trying to find. It's just a pretty low creature count for a grindy, attrition-y deck. You know, Rankle and Forever Young both want me to have a lot of creatures. I've got this Oko that I would love to be able to protect in some way when it hits the battlefield. So that's the, the part I feel like I'm really lacking with. I also don't have a ton of good interaction. I have Reeve Soul and Bacon to a Pie and then just an out muscle. And that's, you know, not great considering I don't have one. I'm more base black. I have 10 swamps here in the main deck and only seven forests. Now I do have two golden eggs, but out muscle is kind of awkward if you're not adamanting it and all your creatures are small. Yeah. So if you're like, just to try to get inside your brain here, looking at this deck, and knowing you only have 12 creatures in the deck, are you worried about that at all right now? Yeah, I am worried about that because I think the way that I lose the game is to an aggressive deck, right? I feel like if I can get to the mid to late game, I've got really powerful spells uh, that I can utilize. I've got this really powerful three card, two card combo that I want to assemble. But if I just get run over in the early part of the game, I'm not going to be able to reap the benefits of that power level that this deck is offering. Right. That makes sense to me. So then looking at synergy, We've got synergy out the wazoo here. Like there's just a ton of stuff like little pockets with the cat oven broom combo. We've got a lot of food synergy. We have trail of crumbs as a payoff for that. Oko can make food. Um, We've also got some night synergy here, which is kind of weird in black green. Um, We've got a copy of Barrow Witches and a copy of Garenbrig Paladin in our five drop slot. And one of uh, the considerations here for the final four cards is we have two, we have an additional copy of each of those as well. Um, and then some knights along the curve. We've got a Falmire Knight, a Merrily Rider, Lost Legion, 
Um, so those, those are sort of like a little pocket of synergy there that I was looking at. And then as far as our last deck building criteria, the idea of redundancy versus diversity, you know, I think you would have wanted as many golden eggs as you could get just to help make your Oko splash easier and more reliant. And then you've got the food synergy going on as well with the trail of crumbs. And then as far as, you know, things that play well with food, you want the first copy of tempting, Witch for sure, Barrow Witches goes very well with the pocket of synergy you're trying to build with the Knights. And then Garenbrig Paladin, you know, the first copy of that is obviously rock solid, especially if you're planning to include Outmuscle, just something big to fight with. Yeah, exactly. So let's look at these final four card considerations. So we'll look at the nose first, the reasons why I ended up not including these cards, and then we'll look at the four cards that I didn't end up including at the end. So We've got a second copy of Forever Young to consider, and I decided that I already have one of them. My creature count is low, and the Forever Young is really only to get back Rankle, because if I'm thinking about Barrow, which is in the deck as like another way to recur stuff, like most of my other relevant cards are Knights, so it's really just to get back Rankle, so I didn't think a second one was good enough. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And then Giant Skewer, you've got that here. It does combine well with the cat and all the other food producers, but the creature count is so low to put in equipment in your deck, and it's kind of clunky. I just don't think that's a card you want to put in your deck. Right. So I thought that was too slow. I ended up not including that. We have a second and third copy of Tempting Witch that we could include. The 1-3 body is good against aggro decks, but it's pretty medium against anything else. And they also really aren't good in multiples. Like once you have two on the battlefield, they feel pretty bad. So I think I just wanted to go with the first copy there. I felt like two and three had pretty significant diminishing returns. And then as far as Reaper of Night, this is a pretty powerful spell, but it sounds like, you know, maybe your brain was, you're already worried about losing to aggro and Reaper of Night is not a card that's going to help you at all against aggro. It's a card that's going to help you against mid-range and control, right? If you're, if you're harvest fearing your opponent on turn four, you're not impacting the board. You're making it so that you have better late game and you feel like your deck already has good late game. You've got plenty of ways to close out the game through synergy and your cards working well together in the late game. So Reaper of Night doesn't really make much sense as an include. Right. And so all of these decisions so far are anticipating weaknesses in my deck, which is, I think, another thing to consider. Like I'm anticipating that the thing that I'm going to lose to is an aggressive deck. So how do I try and mitigate that as much as possible before sideboarding? Like after game one, I have a lot of things that I can do to skew my deck to beating an aggro deck, but I want to like make sure my deck is sort of well-rounded as much as possible going into each match. Right. And this is a prime example of where you need to really go into this on a case-by-case basis with every single deck that you draft, right? Because normally when I draft a typical green-black food deck, I feel like I can't possibly lose to aggro. And I'm worried about how I'm going to beat maybe a deck that goes over the top of me slightly. Mm-hmm. But you don't you don't have the fierce witch stalkers. You don't have right. like, those powerful mid-range bodies that also produce a food. You're much more of a synergistic, like artsy-fartsy <laughs> green black food deck (laughs) that's that's good that's a good description next up we've got ginger brute which does you know go well with food synergy and it is an early play but it's not impactful enough like a one one body is not going to really stop the aggressive starts from my opponent and then jousting dummy next one you would take a look at here yeah so this is the the i think probably the the most contentious and maybe i should have actually included this but i didn't because i was so hurting for two drops so it's a cheap early play it has synergy with at least one copy of barrow witches we know we have a second one that we might be considering as well it's a really strong contender but i ultimately decided that i needed some larger creatures here uh especially to make this out muscle viable Yeah, I kind of almost like this card over Foreboding Fruit that it looks like you ended up with in the main deck. Yeah, that is what I ended up in the main deck. I think that's a really reasonable 
swap to make. I'll talk about why I ended up including foreboding fruit in, in, in just a second. Um, and the last card that I was really, really considering for a long time, but then uh, decided that I didn't need it was signpost scarecrow. I think it's fine on our curve. And it, the, one of the reasons I wanted it was because it helps with the splash for Oko or even adamant for our Garenbrig paladin or out muscle. But I ultimately decided that with two eggs and one island, that was enough of a splash for Oko. That makes sense to me. And especially because you're not necessarily looking to put Oko down on turn three. I mean, Oko's powerful on turn three, but it sounds like you're worried about ways to maybe protect Oko in the early game as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, I was also thinking about like, I didn't want to be constricted on the eggs, like knowing that I needed to save, you know, if I had an egg, I needed to save it as long as possible. Whereas I felt like oftentimes I might just need it to gain some life. But if I have it as like a, this is my way to cast Oko for the game, then I'd be much less incentivized to crack it. Yeah, that makes sense. So now we'll move into the four cards that I did end up including. And so I think that the most contentious here, top of the list is Oathsworn Knight. So this is the rare, the one black black uh, has four plus one plus one counters on it. And whenever it's dealt damage, you prevent that damage and then just remove a counter from it and has to attack each turn if able. Um, so I had a really tough time deciding on this with chat and ultimately uh, an argument from uh, Klug Alters, Eric Klug, swayed me to keep it. He, he was like, look, the best defense is a good offense. And this deck is going to have some aggressive draws. Like we could go Merrily Friday into Oathsworn Knight into uh, Rankle, for example. Um, and those aggressive draws and Knight will make your opponent leave blockers back. So like, just because it's cracking in for four and I'm not a super aggressive deck, I think it's still you know going to maybe effectively remove an attacker from my opponent's side because of how they have to deal with the Knight. And it's another card that works well with your Barrow Witches. Right, it's another Knight for Barrow Witches, which we'll get to in a, in a second. It plays well with Oko, like you turn... Oathsworn Knight into an elk, and then it's a 7 7 that doesn't have to attack. Um, it pairs well with Outmuscle. Like, Outmuscle just goes, here's an additional counter, and now you fight and you remove that counter, but it's probably going to be big enough to kill a thing. So, that ultimately, all of those little pockets of synergy, plus the fact that I think sometimes I'll just be able to be down with it and that'll be good, led me to include it in the deck. But it was uh, that there's a lot to consider there for just this one card. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. Next yes you've got on here that I completely agree with is the second Garenberg Paladin. So you really needed some beef in the deck. If you don't play out muscle, which I think you ended up deciding to play, you've only got Reeve Soul and Bake as removal in your deck and sort of Oko and or Rankle, although Rankle gets a lot worse yeah. if you don't have a high creature count. I don't think you can really count Rankle as removal if you don't have your own high creature count because when rankle is really oppressive is when you've got some derps on your side of the battlefield laying around and your opponent is behind and you're you're sacrificing a worse creature than they are that's when rankle just feels unbeatable right rankle really goes off with either cauldron familiar or like sorcerer's broom in this deck but not much else right 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 and so I think, you know, you want to play that out muscle. So the second big creature, in addition to Osworn Knight, so really you've got like three beefers then that you're pretty happy fighting without muscle when it's not adamanted. And I think even if you're only casting Garenbrig Paladin as a 4-4, it's still a fine card. Paying five mana for a 4-4 is a totally fine card. Yeah, and it's going to be a really effective blocker in this deck. And so now that I'm including both Oathstorn Knight and Garenbrig Paladin number two, I think Barrow Witches number two is an include. So two thoughts here. One, this is a bit more beef, like a five mana 3-4 still uh, provides a formidable body to block. But two, we now have Paladin number two and Oathstorn Knight. So that's six knights total with Falmire Knight, Merrily Frider, Lost Legion, and the first Paladin. And then three of those are likely to trade off early and can be used to double spell later in the game. So like, you know, with seven mana, I can go Barrow Witches, get back 
merrily frider and replay it. And that's a really like good thing to be able to do. So that uh, fit my attrition game plan well. And I, uh, I ended up including that. And the last one that you've got here, I, I think I, I disagree with this one. I do think I would have played jousting dummy over this, but I am curious to see why you ended up on Forbidding Fruit. So my thought process here was this is a deck that wants to run 18 lands. It wants to not flood. So a card draw there would be good. Has food synergies and wants to dig to its bombs slash synergy pieces. So that all added up to me wanting to play this card and thinking that it was pretty necessary for my deck's game plan. But definitely now that we've got Barrow, which is number two, and we talked about the curve is kind of low, Jousting Dummy, I think, could definitely be in this spot instead. So what are the things that made you want to play 18 lands here? I think just colored sources, maybe looking at it and just the number of the number of five drops that you have, because looking at this, I don't see a ton of mana sinks and you've got the witch's oven with the broom, which makes making multiple copies of broom a lot easier because you don't actually have to pay the two to sacrifice the food. So then as soon as you've got six mana, you can start making two copies of broom a turn. Right. Yeah. So colored sources, I think was a big thing. Like I knew I needed to play an island. I was pretty heavy black. So that basically meant 10 swamps. I really felt like I wanted at least a shot at being able to add them an out muscle or paladin some amount of the time. And I have, you know, merrily Frider and trail of crumbs as things I want to play on too. So seven forests there. So it was really just sort of for sources purposes. Um, I also do have, you know, for every youngest card draw trail of crumbs is a mana sink sorcerer's broom is a mana sink. Um, so that was all what led me towards uh, 18 lands. Yeah, that all makes sense. But you see how in depth these final decisions are. Now, some decks are, are easier than others. Certainly once you have a splash in play or you've got a uh, tension here, or you're really trying to shore up weaknesses, those discussions become more in depth and you have a lot to consider here for what the final cards are, but we're choosing between essentially 12 cards for these final four slots. And there is a lot to talk about and to think about for each of those cards. Right. Absolutely. And I think for that reason, when I'm on discord in our what's the build channel i think that's one of the channels i'm least active in because usually when i'm on discord i'm on mobile and it takes so much thought and effort and time to make some of these decisions sometimes there's a lot of information you have to synthesize so usually i wait to participate in the what's the build channel till i'm on my computer where i have two monitors and if you don't have two monitors get two monitors i don't know how i ever lived <laughs> before i had two monitors but then you can have the the screenshot of the deck up on one monitor and then you can be typing in discord on the other monitor i really do think that's you need to be thinking about all of these kinds of things you need to know you know, the base of the deck, the plan, what the weaknesses are. It, it takes quite a bit of effort to give someone meaningful feedback on their deck. And I think, you know, it's way easier to go into what's the pick or it's way easier to go into, you know, big picture discussion and just like contribute to the conversation. So, and I think if this is something you struggle with, like if, if you're somebody that doesn't feel confident making the last few cuts, forcing yourself to go in and analyze other people's decks and think about these kinds of things I think, you know, just starting to participate in the discussion and, you know, maybe you make a wrong suggestion or maybe you make a suboptimal suggestion. But I think people in our Discord are awesome about just giving good feedback and being good human beings when they're discussing decks and cuts and picks and the latter. Yeah, I mean, it's a very respectful, welcoming community. Um, But, you know, even if you're not in the Patreon and the Discord, you know, I think there's like places on Reddit or Twitter to be able to also ask these questions or attempt to answer these questions. There's there's no shortage of uh, resources out there for you to participate in these kinds of discussions. But I think this is one of the biggest brick walls we see people hit in their uh, limited leveling up moments, you know, that the cards that you want to 
exclude from the deck or the final cards you want to include in the deck really take a lot of thought and effort. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're, again, if you're not in the Discord, tweet at Ethan and I would be glad to chime in on your deck picks as well. 100%. All right, that's a great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out and we're both under those same usernames on Twitter and you can also tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks everybody. See you later. Can I tell you a bad beat story real quick? Yeah. As much you're like, no, <laughs> but you know that you know that yes is the appropriate answer. I know I have to say yes <laughs> to be a good friend. <laughs> With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.